interesting how perception that what we perceived was not what we Yes, it was an experience I had in high school with my um, geometry teacher. <laughs> I was looking at her one day, and she was rattling away in this high-pitched, clacky-clack, shrill voice. And suddenly I had the impression that she was not a human being, but a mechanical creature, and that all of a sudden uh, her head would fall off and the spring would be visible. And the more I thought about it, the more it seemed quite likely that this was the case. And once the idea got into my mind, I couldn't get rid of it, that this creature who was constantly yammering at us all was just simply not, not really alive. It was just not really like us. Dickheads, like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We've got our Ampex FA2 recording system ready to go. Straight from Ganymede, Langhorn J. Tweed's been tickling its balls and getting it ready to go. So we're recording. But we got a special guest tonight. I'm sorry, Anthony. Were you you drink a something? Red Bull before we started this? <laughs> Putting a fresh bang in the tune arm cover. Damn, <laughs> Angling for a spot on the prices, right, David? Uh, pretty much. Um, so we have a special guest tonight. To my left tonight, if you're watching on YouTube, is Cody Goodfellow, author of. You can introduce yourself, bud. On America, scum of the earth, sleaze land, repo shark, strategies against nature, rapture of the deep, radiant dawn, and ravenous dusk, and perfect union. Yeah. Among so, others. Now, if you want to hear more from Cody, you can uh, listen to the interview we did with him, as a hundred and so of you people have already done. But, uh, you know, if you're new or if you're just coming for simulacra content, just definitely <laughs> go and uh, check out Cody. Uh, to yep. my right. Anthony Trevino. Author of? Noted futurist. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm going to start putting that on my LinkedIn profile. Frontier uh, Horror Specs. Co-host of this podcast and the Real Obscure podcast. Sometimes contributor to Clash, Tom Holland's Terror Time, and a bunch of other places no one probably cares about. Yeah, I'm David Agronoff, author of The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, Ring of Fire, and some other shit. Over there, manning the uh, Ampex A2 Ganymede <laughs> Special. <laughs> Is Langhorn J. Tweed. Ow! And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. <laughs> right. All right, so let's get into the Philip K. Dick news. There actually is a little bit of it, believe it or not. So just this month, Salon.com, uh, which is a very big website, did, had an article called uh, When Philip K. Dick Turned to Christianity. But what was interesting to me about this is there are two things that's interesting to me about this. There's one that Salon.com just randomly in July of 2019 decided to do an article about Philip K. Dick and religion. But they did talk about the the whole period when the weird angry god was watching him write Game Players of Titan um, hmm. in the article, which we talked about, and it gave some more details on that. So I did want to mention that that article did just post and that it's kind of an interesting one. Any thoughts on uh, Philip K. Dick and Christianity and the fact that Salon's writing about it? 
I've, I've read a little bit about about his uh, going to church weekly and all that stuff. It's it seems so much against his character, but also dead on. You know, you know, there's a duality to it. It, it seems like he's. Such an atheistic person, but he was searching for belief. Exactly. He was a seeker. Yeah. And, and so, and I mean, just because somebody goes, the more often somebody goes to church probably indicates the depth of their seeking, not necessarily the depth of their devoutness, because there's a, there's a broad and healthy tradition in, in the United States of people, some, most of whom are kidding themselves, but others of whom are, are earnest spiritual seekers who don't attend church, but are devout Christians and do take it to the heart of, of, of how they view the world. I think he was somebody looking for meaning in the world. I mean, I think drugs mm. were one way that he tried to, tried to find that meaning. Yeah. And the, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a false mirror because it'll, it'll show you what you think is there and it'll, it'll confirm your worst suspicions that the universe does have some sort of a keeper and it's not a coherent one. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's interesting to me too about this article is that it didn't totally focus on like the pink laser beam and the the Vallis era. It did kind of talk about right. It didn't of, even it didn't even really bring that up. It was a whole right. other thing. And so you're thinking either this is part of a series or this was just a dip where they'll they'll you know as a result of a meeting somebody who maybe earnestly likes Philip K. Dick is able to slip this in on a slow news day. Yeah. Uh, Salon's periodically done this with Lovecraft where they'll yeah. they'll come up they'll write a piece in response to something like the new American Library edition of his of his best of stuff, you know, restirring up the the controversy about things like why he was the face of the World Fantasy Award and yeah. and and things like that. And and of course as an author moves up into wider, wider, uh, popularity that they're, they're going to face more widespread and deeper scrutiny. And, uh, that caused controversies that roiled through that, to that, that community. I don't think this is going to have the same kind of effect, but it's, they, they're, they're, they're kind of opportunistic and, and, and it's kind of, they're, they're kind of cool because I, I wrote like a really angry letter about the, the, the tone of one of their Lovecraft articles and they were going to publish it. And then I calmed down two hours later and I wrote a much more measured letter and said, please don't put this hot take letter, which would serve all of your purposes and showing, look, Lovecraft fans are just as regressive and imbecilic as you might fear. And they agreed to run the second one, which looked really good and stimulated a good conversation. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that Salon's writing about Philip K. Dick and, as you know, I expected... And we have before. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's... True, but what I think... A lot of times Philip K. Dick and drugs... Right. And would Philip K. Dick be around today if he was on if he was on Prozac? <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting because I expected to see more articles about the fact that it's 2019 and Blade Runner year and all that, and I think those will be coming when well, we get closer to November. Downtown LA is getting a pop up Blade Runner bar in November. Wait, what? Yes, really? yeah, just. Just saw things about it. It's like road well, that's trip. a little premature. Yeah. Well, you've, you've got, you got four more four more months to figure it out. But yeah, hell. I mean, if it's anything like that Blade Runner twenty forty nine thing we went to at Comic Con, yeah, that, that would be cool, right? If there's yeah, just poor minimum wage intern actors that pretending <laughs> to be robots, that you robot around. prostitutes, Cody. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, replicant um, prostitutes. And we, you know, we're we're gonna do something too for Blade Runner month. So I'm I'm not talking shit on doing stuff. We're gonna get a replicant sex worker for the podcast. Uh, I'm in. I don't think Patreon is bringing in that much money yet, but yeah. But uh, apparently, (sighs) folks, uh, I can dream. 
Anthony's going to make a pitch <laughs> we, for it. If our Kickstarter is successful, we can bring in a whole off-world kick murder squad. <laughs> I think you need to do more Turn bonus episodes the for the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want that to happen, you're going to do more episodes for the uh, Patreon bonus. But in right. between, uh, <laughs> we have this article uh, for Salon, and, and we definitely want to... Um, we want Salon to write more about Philip K. Dick. We want more of the attention yeah, towards, dip, well, towards the guy. Unless it's like that Mirror article that I posted the other day on the Dickheads page. Oh, yeah. Tell that us about that. Was... Is that. Is that that a new article, too? <laughs> no, that was from uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. But it was so outlandish. They just went all over the place. You know, it's the Mirror, so it's not going to be anything <laughs> relevant or true. But Well, it's just mean, it been was... misinterpreted for other people's purposes i mean since back in his prime I mean, right. since ellison is like hey check out this story that phil wrote when he's cooking on acid yeah exactly <laughs> that and it was a war story it had nothing to do with drugs right so like oh, no, it had everything to do with drugs okay well i haven't read faith of our father is flag of our fathers or is it faith, faith of our, father faith of our fathers right i haven't read it in years so no, like, it's sins of the fathers uh, I think it's Faith. Faith, Faith, of, Faith of Our Fathers uh, is John McCain's book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's Sins of the Fathers. Sins of the Fathers. It's okay. fantastic. I think yeah. they're they're dangerous visions. Well, there's there's well there's the thing is the thing about, about Dick is that he's one of those authors like Lovecraft where you can make that an equally good case that he was a a brilliant brilliant creative uh, artist and equally that his creations or his you know his work. Is are, are the symptoms of his mental illness, right? And 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 his and his obsessions, and uh, one of the and, and so there are these trunk obsessions that that Dick has, and and, and a lot of great authors do. Dickens reenacted his over and over and over again, but they were lavish in sentimentality that they were the most popular thing of the age. But Dick's stories have these trunk things, and one of them is that that you know the leader is is something other than he seems, and this false shell. Are around the establishment, and um, and it comes up in this one in in, in tonight's episode. Uh, right. But I feel like that, yeah. quite a bit. It's in its purest and most crystalline form in in that story in in, in Dangerous Visions, and it's it, I, I think it it does come through with the kind of thing that's probably informed by by psychedelic or schizophrenic visions, which they tend they they overlap mm-hmm. pretty heavily in the Venn diagram, uh, but. Uh, even back then, Harlan kind of flippantly suggested that Dick was just tripping balls and typing. Yeah, right. And, and, and so his myth, <laughs> his myth was kind of has kind of blown out who and what he really is and what he was about. Yeah, and Dick was really offended by that. He like really tried to. Back well, and who knows? That. You know, who knows what it, what is the truth there? Because Dick is <laughs> unreliable. At, at best, at, at explaining his own life. <laughs> yeah. Sure, and the, and the and the best of them waver back and forth in their acceptance and rejection of how the world takes their. Yeah, perceives who they are and what they are. And yeah, yeah. You go back created. and forth from being. I'm going to embody that. Yeah, that's me. They they built me a throne. How can I not sit on it? To Jesus Christ, this is uncomfortable. Everybody's fucking looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm we wishing have, you were back behind the curtain. <laughs> I have we have one other news item. This is a really interesting one. There's another one. There's another. Oh, one. Yeah. He has an endless so, list of stuff. You <laughs> so, you didn't get the notes, Cody. No. Yeah. David has a syllabi. It's like an or syllabus meeting. for every. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. 
<laughs> wait, wait till we get to the part where he reads sections of the book and says, "Okay, now let's talk about it." <laughs> I'm gonna have a third beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you may be on four by then. But um, so you may have wondered. I may be dead, buddy. <laughs> you may have wondered, <laughs> listeners. Uh, what did Phil K. Dick do with that sweet Blade Runner money in the year before he died? Well, we may have an answer thanks to a website, popmatters.com. Very okay. reputable sounding website, well, David. So there was a artist, a uh, so-called psych folk artist from Japan named Sakio Ken- Oh, wait. Uh, uh, Ken- st- start over. Here. You, you, you want to try that name? Because I know everyone's going to make fun of my pronunciation name. See? Yeah, I'd ask, I'd ask Cody. What do you think, Cody? How do you say that name? Sahiko? Sahiko? Kaninobu? Wait, yeah. Which one? Kaninobu. Sachiko Kaninobu? Sachiko Kaninobu, Sachi- 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 yeah. Okay, well... <laughs> she was an artist, and apparently uh, a very weird avant-garde Japanese folk artist, and Philip K. Dick financed a single for her in 1981, which is getting a U.S. release for the first time. Now, how the hell was he financing Japanese folk artists when he was supposedly broke all the time? I don't know, but... I want to know what Pop Matters sources are. Yeah. yeah. Well, they well, see, there's this forest in, outside of Kyoto. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go there, and we're going to find this demo. So here's the thing. off one by one. The yeah. reason I brought this up is because I've never heard anything about this anywhere no. ever before. No. But I am going to check this lady out when her record gets released here soon because yeah. that is fucking if it's, weird. If it's a PR stunt, it's pretty... Pretty great. I don't know about genius, but it's... Damned, it's novel. Yeah. 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 And I think Philip K. Dick would have loved it. Yeah, probably. Maybe the Philip K. Dick android that well, they have... what do you do? I mean, what was his... It. I mean... Yeah, what's it, 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 I mean, what, was death creeping up on him where he's like, I have all this money, but it cannot save me. Or he's like, Woo! Uh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think it's the second one. Yeah, yeah. That's, what I, that's what I'm thinking too. And he's, and he's probably just thinking, I can just do all these cool things that I never got to do that I would sit back and think about when I was, should have been writing at my desk or in between those brief stints between writing when I should have been sleeping. Well, I don't know prime. who he, but but. Who, that he burned his candle at both ends, and he's thinking, "I've got this money. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna do stuff. I'm gonna bring beautiful things into the world." Yeah, I, I, I would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it sounds like Japanese Linda Ronstadt, right? <laughs> but, well, I just imagine, but it's from like 1982. It's a Japanese folk artist from 1982. Yeah. Well, somehow couldn't find his way out into the world, and even after Dick threw the last of his fortune into it, it yeah. in the last year of his life. <laughs> In 37 years? Oh, dude, we're all going to get a phone call. You have seven days. <laughs> well, this is a roost. Don't you listen to it, fools? Well, and I imagine the fifth wife being like, you did what? Right. <laughs> you financed a Japanese folk artist to record uh, another record? I wish he would have, like, commissioned a death maze. <laughs> you know, on the, up in up in Point Reyes or something. <laughs> that would have been so much cooler if we just suddenly found out. Yeah, Philip K. Dix built a giant-sized euthanasia labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, it's right. just now opened. All right, so that's it for the uh, PKD. Well, now there's also the uh, the Blade Runner game that there is not released yet. The, oh yeah, the Blade Runner game from two or. 
from 1997, which is currently unplayable, uh, just because just because old games are hard to play. Crap, they've made sense. And the uh, but the there's a company that is uh, working on an emulator for the game, and they are looking for play testers to find bugs and blah blah blah. And I'll I'll post a thing. Wow. In the notes. Oh, that'd be cool. I, I do know the comic is coming soon. I'm sure there's going to be Comic-Con news <clears throat> coming in the next week about the, oh, yeah. The, yeah, the release of the Blade Runner comics. And I'm certainly looking forward to reading Yeah, Alcon Titan. Uh, yeah, they're going to have a presence at the con this weekend. Yeah. So next next episode, we'll, uh, we'll have more news. We'll have all that, uh, all that Comic-Con news. Comic-Con news, because... Um, there's you can't find it anyplace else. Yeah, <laughs> there's like a media ban. <laughs> totally blackball all these guys. They just won't share anything that these poor scruffy. Let's put on a show, kid. <laughs> so for uh, Dick, like suggestions. Who wants to go first? Cody. Uh, well, since I mean it's a recurring theme in all of these, I don't know how special it is, but uh, uh, his portrayal of Nazis really made me think of my favorite portrayal of Nazis in, in a counterculture paranoid sci-fi, new wave sci-fi book, which would have to be The Iron Dream by Norman Spinrod. Mm-hmm. Um, I adore that book. Um, it, it's so many, so many books have a central conceit around them that's a one joke thing that just either falls flat in the first chapter and somehow they never really revive it. Uh, this sustains the, that concept and stays committed to this voice writing a, th- well, it's it's about it. It's about what it poses the question of what if Hitler, instead of uh, rising to power uh, as a, as a light in Bavarian you know, politics post World War One, would have emigrated to the United States and kind of been like a failed deli manager or something. <laughs> uh, but then he he made this leap in and became one of the pioneers and one of the lodestones of the golden age of pulp science fiction. And so it's kind of like a serialized novel about this uh, perfect human specimen in a post-apocalyptic wasteland rising up and smashing the intermension. And, wow. and, it, and it, it does such a beautiful job without ever getting into explicit ideology, of a, but drawing the connection between these kind of fantasy things. You know, the, the innocence of pulp and showing, no, this is affirming white supremacy and misogyny and all of these really cringy things that you see when you see them. With the with the mask off, but it uh, it it beautifully it it beautifully connects that and and makes you enhances your awareness of it forever after in how you know even what's what's supposed to be innocent escapism is selling you some sort of agenda even if it's a status quo agenda. Yeah, and the thing about Spinrad, um, he had some serious balls to do a whole novel of that concept. I mean, yeah, yeah, because to do an entire novel as writing as Hitler. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to do a short story, but it's yeah, another thing it, to do a novel. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't get into, it doesn't get into shtick ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it deals, it, it does maintain the conceit that you really believe that Adolf Hitler is trying to write the most kick-ass saleable American or golden age American pulp novel that he can. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't fall into the, into the traps of, you know, just Doctor Strange love isms or anything like that, or, right. or call outs or, 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 it, or cheesy names. It it really it, it feels like this thing that could have existed. Well, and I haven't read it yet, but I know a lot about it, and I have it on the shelf, and mm-hmm. I'm going to read it. But I I I did think that it was really bold that he never broke down the wall and had a scene of 
where Hitler's like running around New York trying to get into J.W. Campbell's office to try and sell it. Um, yeah. He sticks through the concept and yeah, and then it's it just like a cover letter. It's it's it, it's neat. I highly recommend it. Anthony, um, I'm going to take this opportunity because I wasn't here for the interview you guys did with Cody and recommend Un America. But I am curious, Cody. I asked you this. Uh, I texted you this, but how was the outlining of Un America for you? Um, it was a weird process because I had the, I, I, I came up with, with parts of it over a long period and, and it didn't really synthesize maybe until the, the, uh, late 2000s. Um, but, and, but I still, it was, still wasn't something I could do. Um, but by then I'd written the first several chapters. Um, uh, and, and, uh, but I stopped short of actually stepping into the, into the place and I didn't really have that figured out. Um, and, uh, I, I couldn't really see it in my head. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, 2017 when I found myself in Portland and, uh, and, uh, walking my dog in this beautiful woodland park that adjoins a huge freight yard that's full of just Panamax cargo containers. And they're like 18 stories of these things. Wow. Okay. I'm exaggerating. Maybe, like, <laughs> maybe like, maybe like they're stacked like 10 deep with like cranes loading them. Um, I've seen that neighborhood in St. John's. Yeah. Pure park. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until it, it, then it was like the visual moment that it kind of unlocked the, uh, unlocked the door and then it could start, I, I could start plotting it. I, I, I wrote out kind of chapter by chapter how I was going to do it. And I tried to make sure that there would be a rhythm alternating between the three characters mm -hmm. so that they're balanced. I mean, automatically you're going to kind of think it's one guy's story and the other two were just kind of adjacent. Um, it's not till the end that you really see that they, each of them played an integral part. I, I kind of tried to do the same thing in uh, <clears throat> in uh, the, the Radiant Dawn books. I, I, I joked at first that I was going to have a, uh, a him, a her, and an it. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I kind of tried to do the same thing in 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 on America. Um, I had to I had to get all the plot points down so that I could feel comfortable adding in all of the just atmospheric stuff and all the stuff that paints a picture of it as a living place. Yeah. Um, and that alone was a big thing. I, there were a lot of times where I, there, you know, a week would go by where I was still unsure. What was the major next point that I had to, had to do working in, uh, had to, had to work in to get the plot to where I thought it wanted to go. And, um, and, and it pretty much ended according to, according to the rough outline that I had, but, um, it was still uh, it was still a bear to get there, and it got there on its own time. Yeah, and America's great. That was yeah, it's uh, fucking incredible. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, that man. was my dick like suggestion last month. So by at this point, dickheads, you should be reading an America. So, uh, Larry, do you have a dick like suggestion this month? I do. Is it a video game? It is. Shocked. It's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little bit on the nose. Uh, but it's a game called Simulacra, and it's a cell phone simulation game, horror game, where a girl goes missing, and you have been given or found her phone, and you have to search through the phone and figure out where she is and the people she knows. But there's a there's uh, I can't give it away, but there there's a lot of uh alternate world type things going on, technology gone bad, 
and that kind of stuff. And so is this game on your cell phone or on your I think I think they have a cell phone version, but I play it on the PC. Okay. So you're walking around the neighborhood holding a cell phone. Well, no, it's just a cell phone. Okay. The game takes place purely on a cell phone. And there are several games like this. There's a, the, the company that made it, uh, Kagan, Kagan games, uh, came out with a game prior to this called Sarah's Missing. And it's kind of the same idea, but the, but Simulacra is a, a lot better made. You know, they put more, more effort and more depth into the story. You learn about her friends. You learn about, you know, who she's dating and who she wants to date. And it uses, there's some humor with the different apps and, and stuff like that. Uh, but the, there's also another game called Replica, which is a very similar but simpler game where it's, again, horror on a cell phone. And I think it's, uh, it just has to do with our, our fears of technology. Mm-hmm. And this one goes really, really sideways. If I like video games, I'd play that. It has like, a... It sounds really cool. You know, it's a, it's a lot of puzzles, and there are simple puzzles, and there are more in-depth puzzles. Like, you have to follow the clues in our emails and mm-hmm. stuff like that to figure out... So can you just open any app on it and just look through different things just to try and find yes. clues? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. I mean, it, it's, it's, it leads you on the adventure, but it's... But it, you know, you can, you can do different things. Cool. So for my dick-like suggestion this month, um, this is somebody that I've suggested before. It's a friend of the podcast. Um, you may remember uh, James Wright from our Double Maltzberger when we talked to Barry Maltzberg and did the episode about Beyond Apollo. James wrote a book a couple years ago called Soft Invasions, and it's a really cool sci-fi, literary sci-fi novel. It's very short. It's about 146 pages. And it takes place in this kind of alter, alternate history where during a Japanese invasion of L.A. Um, what, what is literary sci-fi? Well, I, yeah, it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> I, I, admittedly, but I'm just saying that James comes from uh, kind of it's a um, it's a background thing, a background of the yeah. He's, he, I, I don't know. I mean, his press. Um, this was on anti impedius Is that what it's called? The which is a sub pr- uh, sci fi press of Ross. Gets Rod dinged for saying literary horror. Do they? No, it's yeah. like horror, but not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a, more well, intellectual. I, I, think, I feel like that's the implication. Well, is that I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not trying to talk shit on no. non. Yeah. Which sometimes means it's, it's fucking boring. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My point is, is that it's a very smart book. What were you talking about? <laughs> uh, Soft Invasions by James Reich. It's a really cool alternate history. It has a lot of, of old-time L.A., kind of 40s L.A. kind of stuff going on. And, this, the, and the way reality kind of shifts in it is very cool. It goes kind of back and forth. It's very Philip K. Dick. Uh, and I just... Um, I appreciate both of the, the other book was the song my enemies sing, which is James's newest book, which is definitely my number two read of the year behind on America. Yeah. I think and, you suggested that one a little while back. Didn't yeah. You? Yeah. And so this is the second book by James Reich I've read and both are really brilliant. And for those of you who have already listened to our, um, our beyond Apollo episode, you can tell that 
James is a scholar. Past the last two minutes. Oh. <laughs> uh, James is a scholar of science fiction and and just really knows his shit and it and it kind of, it bleeds through the page. And for those of us who nice. really like that knowledgeable sci-fi, it's good stuff. Literary sci-fi, right? Is that what you meant? Sure. Just hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi. They know math. <laughs> hard sci-fi knows math. Literary sci-fi is smart. Right. Got it. Um, and then regular sci-fi is just. It's just laser guns and titties. Space pirates. All right, so <clears throat> we're Martian talking titties. about a book that came out in the year 1964. David, what was happening in 1964? God damn, we've already talked about that three times. Yeah, so. Today in 1964. <laughs> right. No. This was Beatlemania. How about uh, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre winning the Nobel Prize for Literature? Wow. Or Che Guevara speaking in front of the UN. Wow, I did not know that. Or the first time the Surgeon General said that smoking was bad for your health. All those (coughs) things happened in 1964. Wow, there we go. 1964. And Philip K. Dick released four novels, a third of which was The Simulacra. So that is our book for tonight, is The Simulacra. And it was written in between March and August of 1963, right after Game Players of Titan and right before Now Wait For last year. And it was published in 1964, and it cost... How much do you think you guys would have to pay for paperback of The Simulacra in 1964? 75 cents. Yep. Go down. 25 cents. Go up. 40 fucking cents. So that's how much you would have to pay to get 50 cents. Marvel Comics, like 20, still 20 cents? I think there was still 10 at that point. Really? By by 63? By 63. I mean, yeah, this is a 10 or 15, I think. I mean, this is, yeah, this is a very different, (laughs) this was written in a very different world from the world it was released in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, between uh, I, th- I think the Cuban Missile Crisis happened between when it was written and and when it was released, which is interesting. Um, what else happened with um, you know that guy, that guy with that accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you mean? Uh, oh, yeah, he got shot. Yeah, and we have Lyndon Johnson as president, yeah. right? And uh, so for forty cents, you got fifty-six named characters. In um, a ton of subplots. And some of the raddest names in his canon. Right. Written in the... Okay, so... Mostly in the summer of 63, Simulacra was originally titled The First Lady of the Earth. And yes, the <laughs> the assassination, it does kind of play interesting for this because of the fact that it's so much about President and First Lady and, and all that. It is an interesting time for that to happen. The First Lady of the Earth was the original title, and we have talked at length about how Dick's first titles generally suck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do we all agree the Simulacra is a better title than First Lady of the Earth? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, it was an... Ex- now, here's an interesting fact about the writing of this, is that not it was originally a novelette that was published in... Six marches of '63 called Novelty Act. The whole Nicole Thibodeau storyline was in this novelette, Novelty Act. Yeah. 
Hmm. But and unlike a lot of the novels that got expanded from short stories, there was a 10-year gap between most of those. This was almost instantly after he published the novelette that he went to work on reworking it into the longer manuscript, uh, which was dropped in the mail slot at SMLA, the Scott Meredith Literary Agency, and was pretty quickly published. But the funny thing is, between August... And um, October 1964, we got our first uh, uh, first inklings of what Philip K. Dick was thinking about the novel because he corresponded with Terry Carr, who was an editor at Ace Books, wrote three letters over that time. And those three letters have been found. They're hilarious. Because uh, once Terry Carr accepted Simulacra, uh, Philip K. Dick didn't even remember... Well, did he cujo that shit? <laughs> Just <laughs> pretty much. So what, through it. So what did Phil K. Dick say in this letter? However, what is the simulacra? <laughs> is that what I called First Lady of Earth? I mean, have I forgotten an entire novel? Wire instructions? Wire diagrams as to how to reassemble memory of, forgo- of a forgotten novel or something? And <laughs> even my wife whom I hate so and who I guess hates me or some such fool thing, remarked that in reading the simulacra, she saw for the first time in my work what she called signs of true genius. For her, that is a rather strong statement, so I guess I can take pride in my work. That's it for that one, but wow. yeah. Yeah, so that was... Oh, sorry, Teach, did I go over? No. <laughs> no, I just didn't want you to read the next part of the notes. So, anyways, um, but uh, yeah, it's inter- this letter is hilarious. <laughs> Um, wow. How sarcastic, how sarcastic do you think he was being? Did he really forget it? That, or... Well, he wanted people to know, look, she said it was good and she fucking hates me. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's no. a great way to put it. And we, uh, which, we have no idea which wife this was. Well, these things, yeah. Now these I things... think we do, but we just do have to we? look it up. Look, uh, can you pull up the timeline, Larry? What were you saying, Cody? What is divorce, his divorce timeline? <laughs> yeah, it's, no, the, it's, it... it's, it's Dick's Divorceopedia. <laughs> Well, how many, well, how really many ex-wives do you have by that? It's not a matter of who he was currently married. I think, I think he was on his third marriage. Yeah, I think his point. third marriage at this third, point. Yeah. See, then, yeah. This is actually a segment get, on the podcast. When your third's, when your third's going down in flames, the first two, unless they've already killed each other, they, 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 they a lot of times will reach out to the third, and then you're really fucked. <laughs> That's why so few third marriages So, last. actually, uh, Dick and Ann got a divorce in 1964. Well... So, so I can't. So he's definitely, definitely yeah. talking. He wasn't about lying him. that she hated him. <laughs> no. Oh wow. Then, yeah. But yeah. I think it was Anne in an interview once uh, that's that's been in all almost all the documentaries talks about how she kept popping up as a character in his books, and it was always a hateful, <laughs> yeah, spiteful woman, and she's like, oh, I don't think this is working out. <laughs> I'm seeing signs. Yeah. That's, yeah, why my marriage has lasted so long. is because my first two, I wasn't married. I was married to women who didn't read my work. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't put anybody live in my work. I only used my friends' names and, and my good friends, and then only because their names were cool, and I used them for the worst people in the books. But, nice. But never, never, I, I never settled scores in my fiction. I, I always yeah. regret things that I did, like Radiant Do- or Ravenous Dusk has my wife's ex-wife's cover on face on the cover. At the time, seemed like a good idea, you know, in 2003. But, right. uh, yeah, it comes to haunt you and take take on uh, all new significance. Beyond yeah, when just, someone, someone brings you that book to sign. You're... Yeah, every, yeah. 
It's it was a just, face I didn't want to see again. It's not just the horribly outdated Photoshop that haunts me. All right. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, so the Simulacra was one that he actually appreciated. Wow. Yeah. There's that, both, what was that guy? Oh, what was it the narrator says in Fantasia? You know, it's amazing how often an artist can totally misunderstand their own work. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Simulacra. I think it is a very fine book in some ways. It's incredibly complex. There's an incredible <laughs> number of characters. All of this is just... It's cool. Yeah. So, uh, down another paragraph. So, he did go on and say uh, some other stuff. Uh, well, the novel that I like the most is The Simulacra because there are more characters in it, and it is more of the slice-of-life <laughs> thing where you have all kinds of things, and it culminates in what I regard as one of the funniest scenes of human disaster that is imaginable. Dick's really into yeah. this book. A it, book it, he it, couldn't it, remember. It's interesting that he says slice-of-life because when I was reading it, Wait, the, he, yeah. the whole story of the... Uh, of the music producer felt like a, a slice of life story. And I, I really liked that aspect. Oh, a lot of it's these did. Like it was him, him, one of the other, one was wearing a fiction suit and the other person talking with somebody he really had an ax to grind with or had learned something from. Yeah. Which, which I, I'd done in my life before. I, I, I would retain, I, I, uh, demand complete control over anything that I managed to eavesdrop on. <laughs> so, if it's something, is something the world can learn from from hearing, I'll put it in somebody's mouth, right? Um, but this one, this one to me was fascinating as to revisit because I read it in, in in Toto back in the day in, in my college years. I obsessively collected and read all of the all of Dick's stuff in uh, in chronological order, um, and this was one of the ones that I remembered the least about, precisely because it seemed like in this period either was conscious or unconscious mechanism to help him get to that just preposterous superhuman level of output that he had around that, around that era. Uh, he had developed almost his own kind of personal I Ching where he would just mm -hmm. throw out, he just throws out all of his, all of his obsessions. And this has, it, it, it gets off to such a weird start. It's impossible to feel centered on any one character. Never mind to root for it. It's just to wonder who's, <laughs> Who to bother paying attention to? Yeah, it, it hardly even it doesn't even coalesce until uh, somewhere around page sixty six or somewhere in the sixties or seventies where you finally realize that there is a central story going on here. Right. Well, it, and, and and they don't. It, it feels like it doesn't break up along chapters. I mean, the chapters seem chapter divisions seem pretty arbitrary. Mm -hmm. This the scenes though just go from one character to the next character, and each of these characters or each of these sets of characters is dealing with. An entirely different thing. It feels like a yeah. totally different conceit. Yeah, and exactly. and it's and it's weird. It's one of those things that I found really intriguing and amazing. Uh, uh, reading Dick in uh, in college when I was studying like psychological determiners in in literature and stuff like that, we mm -hmm. were looking at people like like Dickens. Whole thing was just a response to his his hideous experiences in ch with child labor in a bottle blacking factory, right? You know, and his determination that nobody. That if he could help it, was ever going to go back there again, you know. Yeah. So, but we'll, we'll and you to, see that and you see that thematically throughout his work, yeah. right? Well, we'll get to themes and breaking down stuff okay. in a little bit, but right. we have a few more quotes from Dick's thoughts on on the book. He's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what I like best in my own writing is blending humor and tragedy together to show that they're inseparable, like yin and yang. They are the two forces of the universe, the dark and the white. At any moment, some grand tragic situation is susceptible to being suddenly comic. Yeah, and I think that this book is underrated for its humor, so that's one of the reasons why I liked that quote. 
Mm-hmm. And he it's also, packed with humor. Yeah, and he also talked about that. Um, yeah. yep. <laughs> okay, thanks, Dave. <laughs> There's a tremendous opportunity for humor within this context, which all goes back to what started this diatribe, my book, The Simulacra. That is why I like it so much, because these men have devoted their entire lives to aspire to perform before the First Lady. That is the highest joy this society offers. You can go to perform before the First Lady, and she's a complete fake. She's an actress, and when they do perform, their little animal screws it all up for them, and yet they go on living, and all the other characters go on living, too. Hmm. Right. All right, so um, I, I think we're all done on the quotes, but um, you know what that means. It's time for the... Armpit fart contest? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Pretty close. Right. It's time for Actually, the... it's time for the ookie cookie, Cody. <laughs> it's time for the... <laughs> Story breakdown. Oh, we haven't... Yeah, no one's added a whammy bar till just now. Oh, yeah. no, yeah. That's Nicely good. Done. Uh Langhorn J. Tweed, story breakdown, please. Hi. <laughs> this is a story by Philip K. Dick called The Simulacra. It has many characters. <laughs> this is my book report. <laughs> All right, so the the book starts in the Abraham Lincoln... Apartment building. No, wait. That's a pretty nope. funny name he came up with. The the book starts... Not as funny as the Tom Mix With bunker, but a psychiatrist being... Fu- no. The book starts <laughs> with a music producer talking to oh, dude, I, I a memo machine. <laughs> a sentient memo machine that feels bad for him. From Ganymede. No, no, no. The memo machine isn't from Ganymede. Oh, that's just the recording device. Yeah, his oh, recording Ganymede. device is from Ganymede. That he loves oh so much. And he finds out he has to go record a uh, a psychic pianist named Richard Congrosian. And uh, in the middle of nowhere, Northern California, which is now a jungle due to nuclear war because it's 2044. And uh, we no longer have a real president, a, a representative... President is elected every four years, but only to support the first lady who is technically in charge of the country. And that is because the first lady is way more popular than the president. And I believe this came from because Jackie Kennedy was so popular, but I cannot, I, I don't know that for a fact. So then what happens is we go to, uh, the Roosevelt, or what was it? The, or the uh, Abraham Lincoln <laughs> Hotel, where they're having a meeting. And uh, we meet a bunch of people that uh, turn out to mean nothing. And then we go... I read that for nothing? I read all that for nothing. You bastard! We do meet uh, one of the brothers, Vince Strike Rock. We don't meet Chick yet, but hey, it, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have a series of chapters where we go from meeting character to character and learning about the world and finding out that uh, what one of the best best things, and this seems so relevant now, is that the uh, they have made recently made uh, therapy illegal, and they are going strictly with chemical therapy because pills 
are where it's at. And so they, uh, they fired all the, all the shrinks except for one, Egon Superb, who is the only one left, left. One man. <laughs> and he is approached by the government and they say, Hey, you have to stay in business and you Against have to take an army. every patient. <laughs> you have to take every patient that comes in the door. And he's oh, like, yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> and uh, so for 50 pages, we're learning about people and uh, stuff, and it's really not people important. People kills. <laughs> people and stuff. With questions. Uh, so then, shit. Then there's, um, <laughs> there's a... Uh, I knew this one was going to be really hard for you. So the uh, <laughs> there's the fir- a lot the going first on. First lady, the first lady has this plan. She's going to bring back um, Himmler, or who is it? She's bringing back Goering. Goering. Oh, Goering. Goering. She's bringing back <laughs> Herman Goering. Because that's uh, a great or bringing idea. forward Herman Goering through their uh, because robot Herman Goering just <laughs> wouldn't have won over the electorate because they feel like. He would do a lot for the country. Wow. Because what we need are Nazis. <laughs> yes. And we then, went from trying to assassinate Hitler <laughs> to trying to put them in charge here. <laughs> you can't change the past. But, but wait, we can use why not the, Hess? We I can mean, Hess use disappeared. Well, uh, Goering's was Goering was fucking useless. Well Goering was he was he, <laughs> he was, was a murder fat cat. He was murder behind a behind a biplane yeah. yoke. <laughs> but, but but yeah, behind, when he was a flyer, yeah. But after I mean, that, he was just a rich guy with uh, a fucking snake around his neck and wearing a wore tutu, loose fitting old bankeries. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, that's the plan. But if you had to grab one guy from the Third Reich to save your government, yeah. who would you pick, man? <laughs> Himmler. But that's just me. Wow, really? Well, he was the brains. Spear, I'm, man. Albert Spear. I'm I mean, really, he was a technocrat, but... I'm really excited to see how you get the chubbers in here. Chuppers. chuppers. All right, so... <laughs> you just toss, just yeah. toss the sticks, man. So they we learned... We learned they're in charge now. We learned through a series of events... Guys. We learned through a series of events that the president himself... Oh, shit, are we still doing that? ...is <laughs> a series of events. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, One damn thing after another, Anthony. The goddamn right. president. I guess I should have read the book. Well, he's not telling us to shut up tonight. a simulacra. He does, or he does not really exist. And he is uh, the what they call the Der Alt, which means what? Der Alta, the, the, the Alta? father. Yeah, the, the, means the, the father. patriarch, basically. Okay. It means the oldest. All right, so, so so keep going. So that's the president oh. is called now called the Deralta. <laughs> yeah, and our oh. our first lady is Nicole Thibodeau, who turns out to be just an actress, but still is amazingly smart most of the time, except for when she's getting bit by an alien puppy. Uh, Martian. Mar- uh, well, is he a Martian? Martian, a Martian puppy. Martian puppy. Sure. And it's so there's. <laughs> Richard Congrosian <laughs> decides that he's insane and yeah, smells too bad to be around human beings. Then he starts to go invisible, oh, yeah, and then he breaks out of Magneto. his 
So what else happened around 1963, 1964? <laughs> the Silver Age Marvel Comics launch. For real, though? This is a Silver Age comic. Yes. <laughs> the idea that every ad that he takes on, like... Do these people the were wearing their underwear fear? outside their yeah. pants, and somebody was drawing it, it would be a comic. And yeah. advertisements are sentient as well. There are sentient advertisements that wander around bugging people. Like like bugs. For oh, real. God. The Nets had scissors. <laughs> that was... Oh, my God. That's my second favorite part of the book. Yeah, yeah. that was one of my favorite parts, too. But Congrosian was one of my favorite parts, too, because he was so insane, but not not insane at all, really. I loved his thought processes relative to everybody else, but he was, from yeah. the beginning, he's inside this, he's inside this weird, this weird nightmare. Yeah, a self-imposed nightmare. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we find out there's a plot against the government to, to overthrow it because the people that make the Duralta want more power, and they are considered a cartel because they already have so much power. And the chemical company, Kemi Fast or something, also is in cahoots. A.G. Kemi? Yeah. Is, is yeah in, A.G. Kemi the is The people in, who outlawed psychoanalysis. Yeah, they're, they're in cahoots to take over and get some power. Cahoots. So this, this is what happens when you elect German robots, everybody. <laughs> you can't trust so basically, them. Yeah. No matter how much you might be inclined to. The corporations want to take over the government from the robot president and his actress, First Lady, who are just a front for a man named Bertold Get Goltz. Bertold Goltz, who runs the Sons of Job, but also happens to be the chairman of the committee that actually runs the government. What? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. It's kind of like 1984 and everything since. And then... And <laughs> what then a shock. Then there's Looney Luke and Ian Duncan and the jug play, the Emmett Otter's jug band classical <laughs> music. And uh, you've fucking... Left out so, you've left out so goddamn much, though. Yeah. Because there's also a plot to go back in time to... to, to to, to assassinate Hitler, but that didn't work. But, yeah, but that, they have time travel. I mean, time travel is like cable. Hey, go, let's go over to your house because you go, you can go to the future. I mean, and it's not just what view they, the future. I mean, and this is one of those things. Dick, Dick throws this, just throws out the dice, and he's like, "Yeah, time travel and precognition and, then, and bitchy ex-wife and aliens that you can relate to better than your best friends." And then, and, they, and then and then a bunch of names. They give Goering a choice to yeah. do their oh, do what he tell him to shut up like do. you tell us. Do what he <laughs> has to do, do or or they're gonna send him back. Instead of sending him back, they just put him in a. They just kill him, and then some other people get killed. That's the uh, Vince and Chick want to bang the same chick, uh, and they and then Chick ends up with her in the end. They fly to Mars, fucking. Aww. The, a bunch of people are the with jalopy. the Chuppers, who are Neanderthal throwbacks, That's or, or they are the future out. of humanity, one or the other. They've been hiding. They've, they've been hanging out in the jungles of, of Oroville, California. Just waiting to Just bring <laughs> back the Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> and it, <laughs> it ends in a war. The time of the Neanderthals is now. Congrosian does some... Fucking weird shit with his body. Uh, Egon Superb gets fired. Uh, 
Some other people go through some stuff. Other people don't re-enter the story at all. Some people live. Some people die. And then uh, there's war and unhappiness. The end. (laughs) All right. Wow, that's a really hard one to do. I'm going to have to start putting thought into this. (laughs) It's all uphill from here, man. Yeah, Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, It gets headier and headier. Yeah. Yeah. I... Well, in a, in a book with, what was it, 45 named characters? 56. 56 named characters. All it's right. A, so gets talk, a little tough. Let's talk about some of these themes in the simulacra and dig down a little bit. Obviously, if you're considering the time that it was written, it was written... When he lived in a really shittily managed apartment complex. Right. So that definitely had part of it. But we're, I think at the time with Kennedy was... He was still, between the time that he wrote this, Kennedy was killed before it was published, but when he was writing it, Kennedy was still alive. So yeah. so I think Kennedy and the popularity of the First Lady definitely... Yeah, obviously. you obviously see the, the Jackie Kennedy, you know, in inside the inside Nicole. Right. And so... With the I, tours. And then also one of the funny parts is the renaming of all the, the rooms in the White House. After flowers, that was pretty fantastic. I I didn't even notice that. Um, yeah. yeah, this this book is full of of humor, but it's droll humor. Unlike a lot of his books before, where it was slapstick sort of comedy or political comedy, this is all droll highbrow humor. Yeah, and and I think this dynamic with the first lady being in charge, and you have the robotic president and and all that it's definitely getting into of course we've all seen the themes of it's all a lie right um before and this is definitely not new for pkd well when you've named your elite class people who hold the secret (laughs) (laughs) oh really what secret you know every every b class citizen wants to know yeah. Well, we're, we're just a hollow oligarchy with a robot dictator, and we just have an actress in a pillbox hat every, you know, every time the last one crashes out from pills. No, I know. I mean, what's the secret, though? <laughs> right. Well, and, and I, I think it's I, one thing I do think is cool about the setting and, and what's going on is that this whole thing with the president and the simulacra has been around for a while. And I do like that. It's been a thing for generations already when the book takes place. So this is like really post-apocalyptic, right? So like we've had, we've had a while to let this apocalypse kind of settle. And we have, yeah, the, the apocalypse was in the eighties in this one, right? Yeah. And uh, this is like 40 years ago. And this was a, uh, it takes place in the 2040s or something like that. So, yeah, it's been and 50 years since the, or so since the yeah. World War Three. And just like in Stranger in a Strange Land, you have kind of Europe and the U.S. kind of like melding together in a post World War Three kind of thing. So, I think that those are things that Dick was thinking about. I think all science fiction was thinking about at that time. And there's definitely themes that we, we've seen before. Do you ever read these things and wonder how much of it is earnest speculation on where future trends might lead us and how much oh, is yeah. just just playing with your own obsessions or playing with your own contrarianism? Because a lot sure. of times you feel like Dick just, just inverts our expectations like any pulp writer would. Right. right. It's just reversal of circumstance and stuff in, in depicting the world. 
Yeah, and I think there's a blend of that here because sure. because I think that I mean the center the center of the communist empire is in Warsaw now, but it's the yeah. light of the world. It's it's, right. it's glamorous and glitters and beautiful, beautiful and successful. Whereas our neighborhoods are rotting and dying on their feet. Yeah, and, yeah, and everybody's packed into these overpriced apartment buildings where yeah. they or are, they to are sne- under strict rule or trying to sneak off to to, to Mars. Yeah, with a fam next do. <laughs> Why didn't that catch on? <laughs> Mommy, what's a fan next though? <laughs> well, and and so this great honor to uh perform for the first lady, right? Um I just don't know what happened to the fam next though. They're in that one scene, right? And then they're never in the office again. No. I know, it's kind of punk. It it it's it's one of those things you feel like you just forgot. Yeah, like when when <laughs> when Germany entered uh, entered like the into whole bubble. <laughs> and took over our government. It, it's because it's 1980 on one page. It's 1994. Very shortly thereafter. <laughs> well, this 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 is a theme that Dick has done before with um, the fact that um, owning property right is such a huge part of like you have to own property to. Uh, basically to exist and to matter. And so all these people mm-hmm. that are escaping to the frontier, right, which is a theme that was way overboard in the 50s with Phil K. Dick as, you know, Anthony has hammered home many times. But but you've got this idea that if you don't own property, you've got to get to, to Mars. And you've got – and so I like the well, idea – it's, it's Evan's whole, you know, whole deal with Philip K. Dick and the, the frontier and – Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, man- and, manifest destiny and all those, all those embarrassing things that we did as white people way back when. Right, and we don't see the frontier in this book, and we hear about the frontier, but we have so much is made. The frontier exists in the simulacra as this thing that people are worried about that they have to get to, and it's one of my favorite aspects of the book is the jalopy jungles. Right. Mm, yeah. And and the fact that there are these Looney Luke. One oh. way one way rockets to Mars. Yeah. Like, I mean, that that's really cool. It it also recalled to me the, the similar scene in um you know Martian Chronicles where the where the underclass mm-hmm. start building their own rockets. But mm-hmm. uh uh the, the the sequence in the jungle jalopy when you see the, the the Martian uh creature that's there to entice people and it can use telepathy, but this guy's controlling it and then you find out it's a robot it's one of those fascinating things where you wonder, and it's kind of the beauty of uh, of Dick's work, is that you're you're kind of left on left teetering between is this something he's intentionally doing, right, right. or is this something he just really hasn't thought through? Because right. because it's it's so weird the 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 imbalance where if they can create a robot of this alien creature that can somehow telepathically impose its thoughts on people. Well, shit, that's it. Why, You're done. You've, yeah. re, you've remade all the communication. Why Why aren't right. they doing this everywhere? Yeah. Why, 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 or are they? But he people? never – yeah, it, it it raises this hideous thing and you're thinking, okay, so either this is an idea, that a 3 a.m. idea that you fucking forgot by 7 a.m. when you when your when your hog bitch ex-wife woke you up <laughs> or or maybe it it is satire that if what if we had this sublime amazing technology and it doesn't even get into the first thing what if we had these aliens that could do this magical thing and we just use them in used car lots yes, yeah or, or what if we can salesman. yeah and then the question of how do we how do we invent these things that can do this thing that I don't I don't know that we can you know do our regular robots do that 
He doesn't he doesn't bring these things up again. Well, I fully expected there to be either Nicole or the Duralta we're going to have that psychic power. That same kind of power. It's like yeah. if you're having a, have a robot president, then why isn't it doing that, like, in spades? I mean, right. way, be- way better than a robot Martian in a used car lot. Um, but it's not even just that in the used car lot. That, sure. Then you have this this psychic robot alien thing being used for the fucking jug band. Jug band. <laughs> so to get... Right. It's not, the, the uses president. of it, it feels like it's it's making this very Kafka statement. If we had that right. like power, we would waste it so that we would go to the bathroom. We would create yeah. these really <laughs> dumb ways of wasting our godlike power and entertaining <laughs> ourselves to death. Right. And um, yeah. so there's some... Um, if we could teleport, we'd just teleport the piss and shit out of our bodies. Right. <laughs> well... Here, that's good ear medicine. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about Egon Superb. Um, and that whole idea, like, the, the psychology, um, aspect. We psychiatry, have, not psychiatry. Psychiatry. Yeah. You cannot get around the fact that we're in a time in science fiction where the back of Astounding Magazine every month was like these, like, very not veiled ads for Scientology because John W. Campbell was, what had his head. Um, completely inserted up L. Ron Hubbard's ass at this point <laughs> and sure. was working on... I'm not going to argue against that. Yeah. So at this time in science fiction, you have one of the biggest names, two of the biggest names in the genre who have devoted themselves to this anti-psychiatry thing with... And psychology was a storyline in Stranger in a Strange Land, which won the Hugo and so it, it's it's bouncing around. So well, well, isn't I mean Dick's relationship with with uh, with psychiatry and psychotherapy is pretty complicated. Yeah, I mean he has good and bad psychotherapists in his stories. Um, it's it's clearly it's used. It's it, it feels like to me more often as a as a means of of uh, eliding evil than than. Uh, than doing good, and a lot of the good ones are, are hapless. I mean, from the time you meet the the meet Egon Superb, he's he's getting locked up, and then he's told you know told by the by a, this guy, I'm I'm from the president. I want to send you on a secret mission. Oh, yeah. and then I'm good. No, <laughs> Lord, no. You know, uh, the, the the your job is to fail. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's laced with pathos. Well, yeah, he has to keep him crazy, is the whole idea. And so there's this kind of cool aspect of, like, we want to outlaw all psychiatry, but we need this one psychiatrist left so he can keep this one guy crazy, which is... Well, and I liked the mystery of that, you know, that little tiny mystery of who's the patient. That was kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah, that that added a nice element that brought every everyone together, because eventually... But see, didn't every, that feel like every a, character has to go to the psychiatrist? Sure, didn't that feel like a scene to you? Because then, when you first meet meet Congregian, he's he's lamenting that he can't go see yeah uh, Doctor Superb again, and you're like, was he the guy? Yeah, like, wasn't he supposed to start to start going there after the guy was already under the government's protection? I'm really confused, you right? Know? Because he, the whole the whole novel, you think it's Congregian has to be the patient, right? Right, but. Mm-hmm. Or Daryl, but but he becomes a non-entity. Well. Yeah, he doesn't really yeah. matter at all. Yeah, he's and, gonna have a heart attack. We're gonna bring back. But the, hour. 
you know, that's it, what the ladies want. It, it did kind of, it was kind of a want, 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 sad trombone. Yeah. Uh, uh, ending to that mystery when you find out that it's Pembroke who's the patient that he was from the National Police Force. Yeah, that he was yeah. supposed to be keeping insane or or whatever the well, idea it, was it, there. It was, the, the, of all the of all the plot lines to actually resolve. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Well, and Congrosian, I think the whole aspect of like trying to keep him crazy, I think it plays really interesting into the themes that Dick has done throughout his career because. You have this kind of paranoia thing that is supposed to be a part of all Philip K. Dick's works. Well, here it is in a really interesting way where this doctor's job is to keep you paranoid and to keep you on edge because they think that he, it's really because they think he can't perform without it, I guess. Like, it's mm-hmm. been, you know, and, and I think that really plays in funny ways into the whole Dick theme of um, paranoia. So well, the, well, yeah. Well, Congregation's paranoia is really fucking extraordinary because okay, he thinks that this ad gave him um, <laughs> the lethal stink. bo that he transmitted <laughs> via via the media, and he goes from lamenting it and taking extraordinary steps to protect his protect everybody he transacts with to these assholes at AG Chemi. They probably gave it to me. Yeah, right. They gave it back to them, <laughs> and then he and then he dedicates himself to trying to infect them with his with his with his phobic bo. But <laughs> but the notion of it, I mean, the notion of this guy has this delusion that his world is at once collapsing down. At the same time, he's thinking that he's telekinetically or psionically responsible for all of the. How does, how does he describe it? The psychokinetic or psychoatmospheric accidents. Yeah. And, well, and he points to the one about the, the, the one when he points to the guy who drowned in chocolate and goes, I yeah, did that. I did that. <laughs> you're, you're thinking, well, how could he not? Right. It's like it's, you know, Mag- Magneto has like an anxiety dream and, and a bunch of people wake up with their alarm clock smashed through their, through their solar plexus. Mm-hmm. Well, then, well, what an interesting like psychological problem is that, okay, so, so you turn on the TV and there's a, commercial for cocoa pebbles and you're like holy fuck i need cocoa pebbles right sure and and like what a all the cocoa pebbles in the tri-county area fly towards you <laughs> just inexorably destroying everything in their path so <laughs> right on page 180 he says the situation is different i'm captive everyone's against me you're against me for instance i may have to use it against you and then on the next page he's like uh, my own doctor, Egon Superb, he can still cure me. Yes, Corrosion said eagerly, as soon as possible. He's the only one in the universe who is on my isn't side. Isn't against mm-hmm. yeah. me. Like he needs Egon Superb. He's the oh, only always, one. Yeah, yeah. No, in, in in by like the the I, I guess the fourth act. If you're looking at these fourth act plays, yeah, there's there's always this this manic depressive surge. And the person goes on this out-of-control journey, usually on an auto-driven car. We're gonna start seeing these come to life now that rich people are driving around in Teslas. Right. I had a friend who's driving down from, from Portland right now towards uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and she's texting me, yeah, there's a there's a Tesla on the road. The guy's very ostentatious. He's got his hands behind his head. So you know, <laughs> his car is self-driven. And he's holding this up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and we just passed him, and he's not jacking off. And I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the first thing I'm doing if I oh, yeah, people are, yeah, right, people are, are going to, like, yeah. yeah. I know every man has ever driven a car. It doesn't need to be a self-driving car. Yeah. We've, we've all masturbated a car in a car sometimes. So, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. If it's always a dealership plate, yeah, just, just circle around. <laughs> that. Feel free to circle around that thing on the right. He's not going to. That'll inevitably be a porn channel. He's not going to open his doors on you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, so, 
Let's talk about the world building in this book. How do you guys feel about the world building? Because I personally think um, there's some really like subtle, awesome things like um, Sheik uh, Strike Rock, um, like his the Sheik Strike Rock. <laughs> I really like the scene where where he's on the autobahn. He says the the autobahn fatigued Sheik Strike Chick. Rock. Chick. Chick. Chick, strike, sh- sh- strike, rock. strike rock. What with the its, fuck, David? Uh, <laughs> with its centrally controlled cars and wheels spinning and invisible runnings in mass procession. In his wow. own individual car, he felt as if he were participating in a black magic ritual. I just love that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. I wonder if Kim Stanley Robinson read that and then forgot that he read that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, God, I'd love to read his book on Philip K. Dick. It's not available. The one he wrote for his senior thesis or whatever. It's like really, it's like two hundred page. It's two hundred dollars to get some of the because it's very. Oh, huh. But um, anyway, so any that would be uh, any uh, listeners out there who want us to read the Kim Stanley Robinson book about Philip K. Dick could gladly buy it for us. We'll accept. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So the world building, I, it, you know, it, it's weird. I mean, I don't know. He's 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 vague. kind of all over the place, really. Yeah, he's vague, and he drops some things, and it just ends up kind of becoming a melange of stuff that he that he likes. I mean, I I could understand the United States and Europe forming uh, forming an alliance. I don't know about forming a political alliance where they ever one. end up yeah. controlling controlling our system of government, let alone our idioms and everything. Yeah, I mean everybody who's everybody who talks, everybody who's had an education has somehow. It, I mean, German thought. Well, even the use of the autobahn, you know, right, it's, right. I mean, we we we. Yeah, that's not how Americans work. Yeah, we totally ripped off autobahns, but we call right. it the freeway. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, that that was weird, and it feels like. I I wondered, you know, you know, free Africa. How much is how much is actually extrapolated, and how much is just kind of him him, him just kicking around notions um, based around what he's what he's obsessed with, and also his his kind of penchant for iconic, iconoclasm. Um, yeah, a lot of it. I, I feel like the German aspect has more to do with his familiarity with the yeah. language yeah. than it does any any political or or. Uh, or sociological statement. I think you're right. I mean, in this case. Right. Well, and I really, I dug, the apartment building was hilarious. A lot of the things involved with the apartment building. Right, the backbiting and the, yeah, you have to take a test in order to to continue to stay there. Sure. Right. (laughs) And it reminded me a lot of um, Manu Japed um, for, like, you know. Yeah, the, uh, Definitely themes he wrote about in Man Who Japed before. Um, and I, neighborhood associations and all that stuff. Yeah, it didn't have anything as cool as the folding apartments from uh, the Man Who Japed. Right. But, um, but then again, Man Who Japed didn't have uh, jug bands playing Sherbert. Uh, or, uh, Sherbert, huh? Sherbert. <laughs> Sherbert. Playing Schubert. <laughs> Fuck, I forget it. And Beef Oven. <laughs> and Batch. <laughs> Oh, and I'm the one who's not drinking. But um so uh I know. So you just suck at this full time. <laughs> so anyways. Uh, woo! Woo! Zing. Hey. I read the fucking book. <laughs> Stop <laughs> telling people that. Yeah, you can't tell. You told them first. I wasn't gonna say shit then. Right. Um Huh? 
So, uh, so the apartment building, I thought it was really funny. You grade yourself. (laughs) It's it's cool, man. Um, I like (laughs) that there was um, a folk singer who got kicked out of uh, an apartment building in Cleveland for uh, being terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was really neat. There's, I like some of the political party stuff is really good. And I like that the revolution is hinted at at the end, but we don't really see it because I kind of like that being left to the imagination. I thought that was something really good about. Is it being left to imagination or is it just not developed yet? I mean, these ident- these, yeah. these entities will kind of evanesce like in, in some of the short stories and then, and then come out full time, some in full form, sometimes with the same names. So, but if, if you look at all of his novels and all of his short stories in a totality, you can see these things evanescing and by like counterclock world, the, the, the opposition force is already another, you know, another stock player. Right, it, it's already kind of like another, you know, it, it's stock players punch and Judy show. I think he does that with World Jones Made too, where there's like three separate storylines and none of them really go anywhere, come to fruition because he didn't really know where to go with them. Yeah, yeah, and I think he had a better idea but, here, uh, but I, not a great one apparently because they, like there's it comes to a crashing halt really at the end, you know, with no no resolution, which is fine, but the. Uh, you know, Congrosian story just sort of dying. The a lot of the the other storylines coming to very quick and unsatisfactory endings. And, and there know. is there is also some parts that are a little on the nose. Nicole saying, "Do you know what the true basis of political power is? Not guns or troops." but the ability to get others to do what you want them to do yeah. by whatever means are appropriate. And I know I can get the NP to do whatever I want, despite what you personally feel like that's really on the nose. Right. But, you know, <laughs> you know, I, but there's, the, there's also the, the great Goltz is a great character and underused just enough in the book to make him one of the best characters. He's no because he's running clam. Because he's, <laughs> He, the way he just runs around in the White House doing whatever he wants, and no one's aware of where he comes from and what he's up to, and he's got this large group of uh, uh, initially called Nazis in the beginning of the book, but then you find out he's a Jew and that they're not Nazis at all, but they're sort of a socialist revolutionary party coming coming to fruition. But the... Uh, but then you find out he's the ultimate power in the land as well. Makes him such a, a mystery the whole time. Mm. And his uh, and the fact that they can never shoot him. <laughs> that he just disappears is great. Yeah, no, this book this book is loaded with individual moments that are, are really amazing, taken as little little bubble realities. Right. Uh it, it it's a shame that it it seems to shed or lose interest in a lot of a, a lot of those things. It kind of ends up sort of just mentally exhausted and exhausting. But it, it it's weird how just immediately after this, a lot of these things coalesced and really just came to light in books that are kind of immortal, where it seems like all this stuff's worked out. It's yeah, it's certainly building. I mean, this one was better than the uh, than the penultimate truth, which is. A very similar type story, you know, which is better than The Man Who Japed, which, you know, well, maybe not The Man Who Japed, but The World Jones Made, 
which are all very similar type stories. Yeah, you know, he's, well, build, he's, he's building on these these themes and these ideas, and they're they're coming out better and better. And it's kind of a psycho. It's kind of a amazing psychotherapeutic thing. I mean, look. I mean, realizing how much he was taken in by uh, the notion of psychotherapy, and mm-hmm. that that he was developing, you know, and exploring these obsessions at the same time. He didn't have the luxury of just doing a draft and then chucking it. Right. You know, uh, he he's kind of doing something. It, it it recalls to me most vividly like what Robert E. Howard would do. Where he'd have, you know, his, his Sailor Steve story, and then he'd, he'd, he'd write it with another character. And it would essentially be the same story. At some mm. points, even plagiarizing himself, having a lot of the same scenes. He had Brand MacMorrin's story becomes a Conan story, or, or, or a Cull story becomes a, uh, becomes a Conan story, or right. vice versa. And, and, and he would kind of rehash some of these Western things with the same plot lines, same atmospheres, even some of the same imagery, a lot of the same imagery because he was writing it so fast. And so it can be, uh, as a self-contained work of art, it can be really frustrating. But as an artifact, as a part of, the, as a milestone in the guy's career, it's really fascinating. Right. Well, you know. Yeah, it, well, someone said on the, sh- on the show once or in an interview that we did, that you know uh, maybe it was Brian Evanson, uh, but he that Philip K. Dick is one of the few authors you get to see everything of, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of a lot of authors and you guys probably for sure have stuff that you would never publish, that you know what do you that mean, was <laughs> Wait, what do you mean Seriously? that was just hey. didn't quite make it, you know, hey. wasn't wasn't good enough, and I I know I certainly have a lot of stuff like that, but. You know, with Philip K. Dick, we see all of it because he <laughs> yeah. needed that paycheck. He That's how he made his living. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It, there were a couple that had to be published after he died, but you know, certainly we've now seen them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think a lot oh, of those. These, you, oh, are you talking about the legitimate fiction books? Yeah, the, the uh, literary books. What did he call them? The um, his real work. His real work. His real work. <laughs> um, well. I think a lot of these little threads could have been complete novels themselves. Um, certainly, I think, I don't know how you guys feel, but if there was one that I would love to see expanded, it's the Jalopy Jungle. For me, for whatever reason, that story, like the idea of these guys selling me, kind of reminded me of um, Kurt Russell and used cars, and I just right. kind of got this idea of, like... Well, between here, I mean, I, I like, I, I really like that, that story, and it did, it did, it was funny you should mention that, because I, I, it made me think of, of used cars, too, because <laughs> that was on Showtime this summer, I had, I was in a body cast, <laughs> so, anyway, bird in there, but, but, uh, the, the, That's I, a great I just, movie, by the way, I just wish you would have just done one that takes place fairly on Mars, because you see Mars all the time, and you just kind of... In, in, in reflection, in, in here and in, uh, do Android stream. And I mean, you see it with the colonists of their perky pot, perky pat things. And, right. And it's, well, he did Martian time slip. I mean, that's. Yeah, Martian time slip. But yeah, but like going forward, I would like to see yeah, Martians become, yeah. you know, the human colonists become Martians. Well, and I thought it was interesting too. A little more time, a, yeah. a little more time passing yeah, on there. Yeah, extrapolate from that. Yeah, yeah. You just saw a little. You did see little clues too of like um, because in Martian Time Slip was one of the most successful colonists were the Jews, mm-hmm. and there's mention of the kibbutz here because it's one big negative. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
All right, so let's um, let's give our final thoughts. Um, I'm going to give the simulacra four out of five jalopies headed to Mars. <laughs> um, personally, I I know it's not perfect, but I think there's enough fun ideas. I had enough fun reading it. I had I had enough going on that I could give it four out of five. So, Larry, um, I I I enjoyed a lot of parts of this. But the 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 end seemed really rushed, and some of the story threads didn't really fit too well. Uh, I would have liked a little more. That's why I a, left one jalopy. A little in the more uh, purpose for the chuppers and stuff like that. Oh yeah, a little more setup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the chuppers the, came out of fucking nowhere. I, I I know what he was trying to do with that, but you know it. It was pretty, but it's pretty flimsy. Satire. It's just, yeah, it's, it's it's got this scaffolding that he didn't lay a foundation for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna give it three and a half first lady pillbox hats. That's what it deserves, Cody. Oh gosh. Uh, well, yeah, no, I'm 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 just gonna have to give it uh, three palupas because uh, <laughs> I, I felt like it invoked so many great things, but knowing, I mean, uh, knowing. The, his whole over as I do, and even this period that it's in, I feel like this was him. This was that that strike when he almost got the thing lit and almost got it cooked and almost made made a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and and it sparked off so many other ones, but but it but it's not in here, and it well, just makes me long for the other ones. Well, and the weirdest thing is that you've already had a few works of pure genius, like yeah. uh, like Eye in the Sky, Eye in the Sky or yeah. Time Time Out of Joint, or. Yeah. Man the High Castle that are just real high class shit and then, you know, I mean, dare I say literary sci fi? Oh, <laughs> um, there it is again. Yeah. Well, you know he did consider um Man the High Castle and Martian Time Slip for whatever reason to be more in line with his real work as he put it. Mm-hmm. So, so. it's yeah, it's more wiggy and character driven. I mean, Man in the High Castle certainly felt like that way to me. I mean, I was pissed. I wanted to see, you know, Nazis Nazi cyborgs and yeah, right. <laughs> this, this isn't. This guy can't. This this guy can't be be pursued in a show of the soul. What the hell is this? There's <laughs> banding. Yeah, but um, uh, I appreciate it more later. But that's one of those ones that it, it's amazing how these things can feel like. Like for me, this one felt like a shambles. But it had it was it was also a tinderbox. It had all yeah. these volatile ingredients that he does do so much with. I mean, so much uh, that's in here is is into Android streaming. The simulacra ultimately don't. I mean, they were trying to save him from calling it what First Lady of the Earth. Yeah, the yep. Simulacra yeah. title is is a it, it it's a great strategic decision, but it, this book doesn't really do that much with the agency of the, of, uh, of the Simulacra uh, mm-hmm. and, and the off world colonies and all that stuff and the ethical stuff. I mean, the Fam Nexto thing is a wonderful little routine, but it feels like it doesn't really f- find its fruition. I mean, the the, right. the ones that you see. In uh, in Frauen Zimmer's uh, uh, Verica, uh the first time are, are kind of funny, but they don't really pay off. the 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 whole notion of a fam nexto, the extremes that they go to, the very discrete extremes that they go yeah. to, to <laughs> not make it clear to you that you have slaves. Right, <laughs> <laughs> they're your friendly neighbors, except they're doing your yard work. Right. 
and giving you food because they don't need it. <laughs> but they're not slaves. They're your fam next dough. Right. You know, that, that kind of stuff. But there's some beautiful social satire and there's a, there, there's a weirdness in there. And that, that uh, as far as how much he's, how much he feels like he needs to sneak in as, 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 as a balance and how much he re- is really even aware that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the time, how much of it is just this weird reflexive thing? We're just killing space. All right. So for our last segment, because Anthony, I... five Looney Lukes out of five. Awesome. <laughs> that, that's it. Based on the Wikipedia. Based page. off the Wikipedia page and the first forty pages I read. No, it was brisk and refreshing. <laughs> All right. So for our last segment, um, okay. So Cody, what we do here at the end is uh, we imagine that some ridiculous studio like paid us the money and said adapt the simulacra how would you do it who would you hire you have all the money in the world and you have all the studio support you could hire anybody you want to, to act in it or direct it um what are your thoughts and ideas you want wes to anderson this would be a good wes anderson nice. movie. <laughs> right there, there's there's so much pathos and so much hang dog staring and just wide <laughs> It would be wonderful. Um, and he would be great at filming those first lady scenes with all the, uh, right? You know, with, with his, uh, uh, balanced palette of, yeah, no, you filming could do, and you could do so much stuff with that. The, 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 the appearance versus essence stuff right. that's, that's in here. And it's, and, and it's such a static book. And then, and then when things start spiraling out of control, it's really clearly just, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that's what I think would be fun. The explosions uh, in the cities and all that. Yeah, that yeah. would be amazing. Mr. Tweed? Uh, g- having given this so much thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Come back to me. All right. So uh, what I would do is um, I would love to see this expanded into some kind of weird TV show where um, you expand these threads. Mm-hmm. Right? You take these threads and kind of develop them in a Dickian way. Um, so you take all these ideas because we did see lots of really cool elements that could have all been their own novel at one time. So I would try to do like some kind of uh, humorous tone and try to get like a kind of Terry Gilliam feel to hmm. like the world. But I I would try to expand the storyline so we would get to the Jalopy Jungles. We would see storylines that involve entire trips to Mars. We would see Mars in this world. We would right. see more of, of Nicole Thibodeau. Of course, I don't know who else you would cast besides maybe uh, underrated for her comedy, Charlize Theron, if you had all the money in the world. Because I think I kind of pictured her in my head when I saw Nicole Thibodeau. Is like, really? Yeah. And, and, so what you get for Molly Dondo's door? <laughs> um, I don't know. Kylie Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I don't really know who I cast in a lot of the other roles, but I do know that's I, I'd probably hire like some kind of young like comedy director who's done more serious things. Maybe the dude who did um, well, maybe I'm thinking it's just because Charlie Theron was in it. The guy who did Long Shot because that is a romantic comedy. Actually, still had kind of interesting framing and filming and stuff. So to set the tone for the pilot, but I would do this as a TV show. Tucker Watiti. That's who I'd want to direct it. He's <laughs> got hired to do Thor 4. Well, he, he's pretty much directing every movie right now. And Akira. But he, he deserves it because he, he can do the the small elements. Mm-hmm. You know, he can do the small comedy elements really well. And he can do the big, 
you know, Hollywood blockbuster CG scenes and all that stuff. He's got all the talent needed to to make this multi-faceted nightmare come to life. Taiko Waititi. All right. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see if he actually pulls off that live-action Akira. Nobody seems to ever be able to crack. I'm, I just want to see his episode of The Mandalorian. Well, that is, you guys have already talked about Linklater's how Linklater used to scheme on doing a um, and had wanted to do um, three Sigmata Palmer Eldritch. Yeah, oh, I'd love for him. And to it do picked that. Scanner Darkly because it was kind of a ladder project. It was more relatable and less less intensive. But he pictured something that squared. Right. Oh man. <sighs> well, Dick's daughter. That's one of the ones she really has her eyes on. Seeing yeah. this movie and Ubik and you know, but uh, mm. you know, yeah. I mean, a Link Letter would be fine. I'd take him <laughs> for uh, Civil Agra. Uh But I would. I actually would. My thinking of this is what the reason you would do the Simulacra as a choice is to expand these threads. But yeah, but I like I like what you, the way you're thinking on that one, David. Is the as a series, it would work pretty well because there's a lot. A lot that you could expand on. And your budget wouldn't have to be crazy because you could, you know, because it's a post-apocalyptic world, you don't have to make it. I just, yeah, it, too. it would be neat. And one of the things that I think has, where, where Dick has benefited from is because maybe you didn't have the time, maybe you didn't have the reflective period to really uh, nail the the emotional impact of some of the dramatic beats he was delivering. Sometimes he kind of rushes past these things. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is just the whole goat thing and, um, of course, the Android's, Android's dream. But, like, <laughs> uh, the, the the whole... You could you could do weird tangential stuff. I mean, the whole concept of of of, of somebody being being Hitler's, you know, being the the guy who guided Hitler onto a different path and changed history was the whole subject of Tours of the Black Clock, which is one of the most cerebral fucking literary sci fi books of our times. Um, but the 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 thing of how you know dealing with the question of time and stuff, the way he casually throws in time machines and everything, we sent these guys back <laughs> to change time and everything, yeah. and it. And it didn't really work. We couldn't assassinate Hitler, so we're going to try and send somebody back to psychoanalyze Hitler. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that would be cool about doing it as a TV show because yeah. you could hire a writer's room and then the people who are really into the robot simulacra president storylines, you hire that, you have that writer focus on that storyline, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'd have Cody you could expand that one. The I'd have me do, doing the jalopy jungles. <laughs> I'd probably have Larry do the uh, the corrosion storyline, and uh, um, I'd and have Anthony would do the narration. No, yeah, Anthony would do the today. national police. Yep, let's do it. The national police storyline. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd have Anthony do that one. So, so hire us, of, yeah. Electric Sheep Productions. We'll turn Simulacra into a TV show. Just you watch. Um, um, Anthony, from what you read, do you have a do you have an idea of who you'd want to direct? Not it? at all. Not at all. I agree with Wes Anderson as much as I can't fucking stand Wes Anderson, which I've made very clear on this podcast. Even though I might never do another one of these, I was instinctively just keeping my powder dry. Don't, don't throw out your really good ones. But, <laughs> but I, I, I could see, I could see if I heard that, yeah, Wes Anderson is doing the simulacra, then I'm like, wow, the licensing thing. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, Hope you're ready for 45 minutes of people staring at each other awkwardly. <laughs> God, I, oh. 
Hey, yeah. but it would be a wonderful didactic because we're yeah. seeing because every one of these, whether or not it had it in it, has been you know as, as I think you pointed out, has been an action movie. Yeah, that's what yeah. they translated into. The, yeah, they're the typically stuff just is this extra neat, neat you know head fuck glaze, but on top yeah. of this generic shorthanded action that's become as boring as watching people play cards. Right? Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Well, I think Man in the High Castle broke that a little bit, but like. That's I think doing one of the weirder ones that is not action would be really cool. And we have in the well, past. I, I mean, you can do one that's not action. We saw it with a Scanner Darkly, which I thought was a great adaptation. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and Electric exactly. Sheep or whatever it's called, the TV show, Electric Dreams. Electric Dreams. Tr- electric, yeah, Electric Dreams. Yeah, uh, they they've done some great episodes that aren't all action. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and certainly we could see it, and and you know, and hey, guys, we got almost to the end without doing a film tangent on some <laughs> other thing. No, no, no Spielberg talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, <laughs> on that All note, right. uh, if you want to know how that's happening, and you're listening to the podcast, you're going to have to go to the YouTube episode. Yeah, we don't. We don't know what we're doing next, or we... Uh... We do know what we're doing next. What are we doing next, Anthony? Four years. The third moon in the Alphane system was used as a psychiatric hospital. But when war broke out between Earth and the Alphanes, the hospital was left unguarded and the inmates set up their own society made up of competing factions based on their particular mental illnesses. When Earth sends a delegation to take back the colony, they find enclaves of depressives, schizophrenics, paranoiacs, and other u- <clears throat> and others uniting to repel what they see as a foreign invasion. Meanwhile, back on Earth, CIA agent Chuck Ritterstorff and his <laughs> wife, Mary, go through a bitter divorce, and Chuck loses everything. But when he is assigned to clan... Chuck Ritter... Strikes... Dorff... But when he is assigned to clandestinely control an android accompanying Mary to the Alphane Moon, he sees an opportunity to get revenge. We're doing Clans of the Alphane Moon, which fucking rules. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the the next couple are really good ones, right? Like Dr. Blood Money and... Yeah. Three Stigmata's coming Three Stigmata. Um, Actually, Three Stigmata's before Dr. Blood Money, I believe. But yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're in a really good period, so... um, Fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, uh, so listeners, please support our Patreon. Uh, check out uh, interviews as they come out. We're also working on our uh, best of the 60s Hugo winner series, um, which is I'm recording uh, Stranger in a Strangeland soon, which, spoiler alert, I didn't like. <laughs> so that's two in a row. So you guys say I'm too positive all the time. You are. Oh, dude. Larry, tell him about the Fritz Lieber, the Wanderer episode. Yeah, Next he, episode! He didn't like that one. <laughs> I did not like the Wanderer. <laughs> and I did not like uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. So for, for hot takes, um, definitely come for those episodes. So if you think I'm too positive all the time, definitely check out the Wanderer episode. <laughs> all right, so uh, thanks, dickheads, and keep it paranoid. Stay all paranoid and shit. Aye, aye, aye. Good night. <laughs> Zing.